WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the writer of Corollary from SourcePoint Press, Adam Rose. Welcome, Adam. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. So what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Woo, well, you know, it's an odd one, but I just remember a care package from my uh, grandfather, and it had a Doctor Who comic, as well as a Teen Titans comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, but then as far as just what I, I think even before that, like hitting the local library is where I really first got into it, and it was Tintin. Mm-hmm. I read every volume of Tintin I could get my hands on. And that, I think, probably was the first, like, kind of constant comic book reading before I discovered the gigantic universes of Marvel and DC. Do you remember which doctor was in the Doctor Who comic? <laughs> I want to say it was the eighth doctor. Oh, okay. Um, if, I'm rem- if I'm remembering correctly, I think so. Hmm. Are you you guys are who fans? I am. Oh, okay, okay. I had a phase. <laughs> so so many so often Tom Baker, so often fourth. I was like, oh, I was, I was like, I'm counting on it to be Tom Baker. It's like, oh no, eighth doctor. That's a deeper fourth, cut. Fourth or ninth? Okay. Yeah, those are yeah. supposed to be the starter doctors. Well, I, again, I would have to check the archives to confirm my guess. <laughs> it may very well be the fourth. Well, uh, you are here to talk about your series Corollary from uh, SourcePoint with uh, artist Robert Ahmad and literary DC Hopkins. Issue number three came out June 22nd. The final issue is out July 20th as of this recording. Uh, Matt, would you kindly read the solicit blurb from issue one for the listeners? In a galaxy filled with twin moons, twin suns, and twin planets, everything comes in twos, even the people. And if your twin dies, so do you. This is the way it's always been. So when Captain Andromeda's twin sister loses her life in a far-off military battle, and Captain Andromeda herself does not die. Needless to say, the universe demands answers. Answers the captain is willing to give. To the highest bidder, of course. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> Thank you. We love a good dramatic reading. Uh, so uh, what, what is the origin of this project? Okay, so I would say... It's a, a quick little story, like around four years ago when the, uh, the spark popped into my head, I have to give credit to my daughter, Caroline, who at the time was only about five years old. And we had some friends that were having expecting twins. And as I was tucking her into bed that night, she um, like said to me, Daddy, if, if a twin gets tickled, will the other one laugh? And I don't, I mean, you know, we've all heard those kinds of ideas before, Mm -hmm. um, but then as I was like, you know, putting her little blankie next to her and saying goodnight, some, a dark spark went off over my head. And I was like, if your twin dies, so do you. And I just thought of an entire sandbox, an entire universal galactic playground where this would be the bottom line rule for all beings. I'm talking, we also have like planets that have twins. I mean, of course, in reality, there's, we hear of twin moons and whatnot. So um, yeah, it, it just, it, that was the the impetus. But then, you know, it just really rolled when I figured out who Andromeda and Cass are as people and as beings and what was important to them. Because once I, and those characters kind of just took over for me. I just realized um, what this is also about is figuring out a sense of self, who, who, who are you? Like, and what does it mean? What does family mean? And I feel like, you know, right now in 2022, more than ever, it's, it's become such a, a major evolving question and answer kind of situation. So that also, I guess, is an allegory of that to some degree in this story. And uh, how did you go about gathering your, your creative partners in this process? So uh, I originally I was talking to another artist um, who rec- recommended Rob Ahmad to me. And he said, you got to pitch him, though. He's not he's pretty busy. And I know, yeah, at the time, I think he was on a couple of projects that had come out since then. But um, and he's based in the United Kingdom. He's in England. And I sent him 
uh, a pitch and he looked it over and he was all in. And we initially, um, because I'm a big fan and this connects to like, the, wor the world of the UK and comics, um, you know, uh, 2000 AD, have like a little mini series called Future Shocks, <laughs> which are these four page science fiction stories. And I'd already written like um, a much longer story for this, but I was like, well, what if we like kind of play around with it? What if I could kind of give us a beginning, middle, and end, um, almost like a prologue in a way? And, you know, I wrote it in that way, this four, like um, as almost an exercise with Rob. And then, but then I just realized, I mean, so we do have that, but that we kind of immediately realized how much bigger this needed to be. And Rob suddenly, like, his initial um, line work for the first, this first take go around, which is like going on three and a half years ago now, um, it was a way more um, cerebral looking, less of the kind of fantastical, because I would say uh, once you get into the whole story, you see, yes, it's science fiction, but it's sci-fi fantasy. Um, and did I intentionally do that? No. But what I did constantly say to myself, I said, yes, and I said, I wanted, I just gave myself permission for this story to go where it needed to go. And it got, it just gets bigger with every page. I think unintentionally, um, I, I mean, and I do, I mean, I really do. I hope I've gotten like pride, I pride myself in really trying to have, imagine the reader and the page turning and having that, those moments of big, like explosive like visuals happening at certain meat beats in certain moments. And it, there is kind of an up-tempo through the four issues. And the crescendo, I would say is definitely, I mean, huge things happen in the first and second and third issue, but things are just, it's an epic galactic battle with all these um, new, but very important characters, uh, like on the level of the kind of Guardians of the Galaxy meets uh, Infinity War levels, like, epic uh, battle stuff for that conclusion. But I mean, I guess originally back to your original question. So Rob, you know, he also, he, he kind of went back and reinvented um, our main characters. And he, I think has been kind of greatly influenced by like Bruce Tim a little bit like Batman animated, which I think is one of the most incredible and Justice League Unlimited. I, I love, love, love. Uh, and I, I think there's a tinge of that in this. And then the extra like kind of cherry on top of it all was the choice to experiment with him watercoloring it by hand. Now, initially he showed me a few pages of that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I've never seen. I honestly, I mean, I know I'm, I'm tooting the comics horn here but I really haven't seen a comic do this to this degree. I've seen some beautiful watercolor books, but this was something special. But initially I was like, oh, well maybe we'll just use this for certain moods, certain like sequences or pages where this, okay, and then we'll go to digital. But then, you know, we, as we got uh, more comfortable with um, Josh and Cam at SourcePoint Press, they were, they like were so encouraging, like this, make this book, this, this, it fits so perfectly, especially with the science fiction fantasy kind of blending going on here. So Rob, uh, he watercolored it all up through the end of issue three, full disclosure, because of how painstaking it was, because, you know, none of it was digital for him. Um, he, he got fried. So, uh, it, but luckily Gabby Metzler, she's an amazing colorist and um, she'll get credit, full credit on the fourth issue. She was able to, I think, without missing a beat, we don't, we, it looks just like his hand watercolors for the fourth issue. I was, that was my next question about the, where those colors came from because they're so distinct to the book. Yeah, it's a signature for this, yeah, this piece. I, I, I'm, I couldn't be happier about it. I, you know, and like I said, just it added some, like, a, like a, this muted tone to it all. And at the same time, certain, certain when you meet new characters with these colors, it just, they really pop. And like, you know, back to that kind of Batman anime. So that thing of Batman animates you like Bruce Tim style, there's something a little more, um, well, we're, I don't want to say flatter because I mean, that's like an insult to some of the most brilliant animation in the last 50 years. But I, I guess for this, there's like, there's just something like a, 
yeah, well, yeah, that stuff is grounded. Like that, you know, not grounded in reality per se, but this watercolor, in my opinion, it does bleed us into the fantasy. It does, that's how that's how I interpret it when I look at it. So it kind of gives it permission to to kind of pivot in both worlds. I mean, you have your Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon moments with jetpacks in space, but then you also have floating dragon dinosaur cities. So, which you know, another influence on me um, is the, like the, the heavy metal feature film from the '80s. I mean, I think that is like the ideal blended sci-fi fantasy that I can ever think of. I mean, of course, R-rated as can be, but, you know, just, you know, that had, it, me it meshed science fiction with like Conan the Barbarian. I, I have to imagine doing that way with the, you know, hand watercoloring everything, you know, took, took more time. You know, what was your lead time like in terms of you know, deadlines or, or, you know, how had this all been in the can before, you know, we ever saw a page? Um, everything was in the can before you ever saw a page. Uh, that's how uh, SourceBoy and I, and I, we just, that's how we wanted to do this. Um, after they like saw the first like 10 pages that we got done um, separately from that. And, um, but as far as, I mean, you know, we started this before the pandemic. Mm. Um, and I would say, in some ways, uh, the sluggishness that the pandemic created helped us speed up uh, because I know for me, I needed this. I mean, I wanted it you know, before, but I really needed this as a, a crap creative, like just salve uh, for when I would be feeling like stuck, like all of us had felt over the last three years or whatever. So, I, you know, I think pacing wise, I mean, I will say that the process was amazing because Rob would, you know, he'd get, you know, I'd send him a full issue, like script. I didn't like that, no, nothing smaller than that. Um, and he'd come back like, you know, with like five, six pages of thumbnails. And then I'd add in things or this and that. And then he'd come back um, with the pencils and inks. And then um, we didn't, you know, we kind of went back through each issue entirely for the watercoloring. Um, and then sometimes I would know, you know, I would make suggestions um, as far as I really think this scene should go deeper blues or like should have some hotter, hotter reds here or what have you, depending on the mood and the tone. Um, and it, it, it worked out great. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, DC Hopkins, our letterer, who's such a pro, and was so tolerant of, I mean, even with the process with him where I, you know, in some cases I give him the pages and he put the, the put those, fill those balloons. And it, it was so pivotal for what he was doing for this book in particular, because um, I think it's safe to spoil the first issue at this point. <laughs> you know, we have two characters um, who are sharing the same body and when one of them is not in the body, the other one is taking over the ship, giving the ship its sentience, or um, a android battle bot, or a little dragonfly drone. So we had to make it as clear as humanly possible who was talking when, and who was cast based on the lettering, who was Andromeda. So you know, even with that, there was some back and forth. I you know I hate, I almost hesitate to say that because. Anytime I look at social media, when I, in letterers, they, they love to kind of give their, their complaints about creators. And I, I'm like, oh, God, I think I've stepped in like six of those landmines. And I don't Let, want letterers to Letterers have the best tea. I'm telling you. <laughs> They're right at the end of that process, right up against the deadline. Oh, yeah. So he, you know, he was, he was incredible for this. I, I couldn't be happier with what he did. Um, and now, you know, uh, we're getting ready. Um, you know, issue four, as you mentioned, coming out July 20th. And then uh, the collected graphic novel trade paperback edition is going to eventually, I guess I'm announcing it here in a way, but uh, it's going to be uh, coming out the end of September. And right now we're collecting all this really cool back matter. Um, we're going to hopefully include that original little four pager, um, as well as um, all this just process work of Rob 
And I think I'm even going to have a pinup done by a guest artist in the back. And a couple other things. And I'm super excited. Like um, I, I was honored to have him accept the offer. And um, uh, Adam Beechin, comic book writer, animation writer, he did the foreword for it. So uh, I couldn't have been more happy that he, he came on. So he's read the whole thing and I just got to look at what he wrote and it's, I'm ex yeah. So a lot of exciting things coming up and I'm hoping to get to maybe uh, do a signing uh, once issue four comes out again somewhere. I live in Los Angeles. We'll see if uh, yeah, I've already got, gotten to go to Golden Apple and the comic bug. So that's been great. And comics first toys, my local shop in Eagle Rock, which is uh, is a great, he's ace. He's been a, such a, like an amazing support for um, the work I've been putting out. Now, uh, how did the book end up at source point? Had you pitched around to a few places or? I, so, you know, I, I knew about source point before this book and I really liked where they were going. I was following them a lot. Um, so I know, I mean, did I, I think I did like a, just a cold blind uh, submission to image, but I didn't know, I don't know anybody there uh, and never heard anything back. But source point was, like, I was slowly cultivating a relationship with them through cons. Like before the pandemic, I got to see a few of them at their booth. I think they were at that, that point, they were at WonderCon. And then they were at LA Con, and they were, you know, they took a, they took a look at a, um, a, my other published graphic novel by uh, more more of a, a middle grade, like a younger thing called Playground: Attack of the Gurglebots by Marcosia Entertainment mm -hmm. out of uh, England, ironically. Uh, so you know, we started a dialogue there, and they you know I, they were open the for the pitch, and then the rest was history. So you mentioned before that this is a blend of science fiction and fantasy. It's funny that these are two genres that are in many ways so fundamentally different and that science fiction in the strictest sense of the word is very grounded and very rules-based. Yeah. And fantasy, while yes, magic systems theoretically have rules, they can be much more flexible because you're sort of building them. How did you sort of reconcile dealing with these two genres sort of mashed together? Excellent question. And I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I've been heavily influenced, like a lot of us, by Saga. I think that is the textbook on how you do it. And they've been around for years. And I'm not saying that I was like, you know, it, I think it was like subconscious at this point of like, you know, just knowing what they were able to create and do there. But I think it all, what also helped this a lot was um, the rules of this universe and just the ideas of this kind of this, the, the twin death and whatnot and how it not only, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how far away your twin is. And if it happens, it happens. And, you know, even like little snippets of like the philosophy behind that. Um, like we have a character, uh, he's the warden toad and he's kind of an evil uh, antagonist. And he shows how he, he's like protecting his own interests. He has his brother in a padded cell. So, you know, we all, and then of course it opens up like, you know, there's storylines that we don't even get into here, but just what, you know, what if some, what if you have that twin who is like very clumsy or, you know, or is very, is a little too adventurous. So. Or in, you know, Cass and Andromeda's case, one of them is a little much, you know, a little too much of a partier, a little too reckless, um, even though they might be a little more of the um, seasoned warrior, while the other one's more measured. So I, I guess, how am I, how's that getting to what you just asked me? Uh, the rules of that, I think, helped me kind of toe the line for each. So in one sense, those rules kept me like in the science fiction lane, I think, to some degree. But because of who these characters were and the, and the, and the beings that I had them interacting with, I went in, a, I think the beings, uh, the other intelligent life of this universe are, I, I went in a fantasy direction with a lot of them. I mean, a lot, you know, anthropomorphic and whatnot. Sure, you see that in all kinds of sci-fi, but I just had more like just, 
these borderline, like as you said, like before magical kind of beings without the magic being in the forefront, I guess more on the long, when I say that, I mean more along the lines of like fantasy, uh, i.e. Conan the Barbarian kind of world building or Red Sonia. So those, I don't know. So I just saw there were, you could have that little taste of super high tech with barbarous beings. Like uh, the, the, the Phyllis Nine uh, lizard people, the Duke and Duchess of, of Phyllis Nine are um, like just atypical barbaric, like kind of Mad Max, like tyrants. Yet they were on, um, in, a, in a flashback, they were on like a little vacation on a moon of Earth where they happened to eat Andromeda and Cass's little uh, two-headed uh, flying goose creature. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess so all of that just was thrown in the blender. And, you know, did I sometimes, yeah, I would always ask myself, okay, is this, am I mixing too much here? And I never felt like I was. I mean, I mean, I in the final outcome. I mean, yes, were there things that I sometimes, oh yeah, I gotta, I, well actually I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of times I was like, no, I gotta go bigger. If, if, if anything, I was turning up the volume when um, someone else might've thought they should, that I should have turned it down. So for better or worse, I kept cranking it. I, I have to imagine, you know, there's a lot more to mine from this concept than you can get to in four issues you know how open i guess are you leaving the door to more stories in this world wide open um i do feel i was very it's very important to me um that you have a satisfying ending in this arc but i will call it an arc because no i have a whole bunch of ideas and without spoiling as far as who makes it out alive or what have you because there is some significant heartbreak in in this last bit of it all but uh no there's you'll see right away by the end of the fourth issue you're going to be begging for more i hope because i almost leave you with the sense of oh my gosh i have to see where this is going to go from here where you know okay i feel satisfied with what happened there but what is this You know, and uh, we've kind of talked about the, the, the fantasy part of it. You know, with sci-fi, you definitely have to push yourself to stand out, you know. And here you have stuff like the whole twin conceit, obviously, in cities on the backs of dragons. You know, what is what is your favorite thing that Robert drew that maybe wasn't even in the script? You know, just a nice surprise that shows up, uh, you know, on panel. Yeah, um, I liked his depiction of the arm um, arm wrestling celestials. I mean, you know, I didn't call them celestials. They're just space <laughs> gods. Um, but they're, they're using like a planet as an armrest and just their arm wrestling was amazing to me, as well as his depiction of some really significant characters in the fourth issue. We see um, the fan, you know, without giving it too much away, but we see the family grow in the fourth issue and in more ways than one. And his what he took my, for my character descriptions and created, I could not have been happier. I mean, I'm, I guess what I equate, what you see in the fourth issue to is the best of Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's a stay tuned right there. <laughs> so you, you're obviously, you talked about it before, so you're comfortable with us talking about the twist at the end of issue one. When did that come in? Was that foundational? Because, I mean, you said, you know, the idea just came to you of the twin universe. But when did it like, oh, the share, when did the sharing the bodies thing, how early in the process did that become part of the story for you? Yeah, you know, that's a great question, because I, another thing I, I, I won't shy away from acknowledging, because uh, I, I feel like I've seen some people comment on it, is the choice I made where it is, you know, they are like literally unscrewing their heads to move the brain around. And, you know, we've all seen that kind of conceit before in all kinds of science fiction. I, but I think for some reason I want, I leaned like just a sliver in my mind uh, to like a, like a horror sci-fi of that. Cause it's a very, rough process that they go through. Uh, it's in, in the reason for that 
is because, and I think this isn't spoiling anything, because if you've read through issue three, um, you know, they, they do find out that there's a deteriorative uh, process to this. Like they're only, they only have so many switches left and that raises the stakes significantly. So to your original question, how soon did I have the idea? Um, it, I think you know, it came as soon as I knew who Cass and Andromeda were and as well as what I just mentioned there, um, like this can't go on forever. And that's also why, and Rob really interpreted that what so well like from that issue one reveal of like how physical this process is, like, you know, moving a delicate brain. And yeah, we have like some fun moments where the brains both like say hi to each other, like, hey, sup, and then they go swap. But uh, yeah, that's gonna take a toll. You can't just do that as long as you want. Um, and that raises the stakes. And that also brings in what I was saying originally, like just they have to figure out who they they are and what they're willing to sacrifice for one another compared to what they already have sacrificed for one another. So you also said that the, the twin thing came from friend, family friends who were having twins. Do you have siblings? Because I the- have two siblings. Uh, I have a sister and a brother, Samantha and Ben, but yeah, Samantha is two years younger than me. My brother's four years younger, but actually they're like only, they're like Irish twins. They're like a year and a half apart. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, you know, on the outside looking in to some degree as the older brother, but them being so close in age. So that's, that's there. But then, yeah, I have cousins that are, uh, they're not identical twins, but it's so, I just saw them for a barbecue and it's still a struggle uh, to tell who's who. Um, and then, yeah. And I think I have some, you know, the friends that I, from the original story with my daughter, they, their twins now are like they're three and a half or four years or almost four now. Um, you know, I think they're not, you know, when I, I told them the, the concept of this, they weren't pleased. But I, I have gotten interesting responses to friends with twins, um, which is definitely, you know, some people are all for it and others are like, oh yeah, that's, I'm not really happy to hear that. So, and I didn't, none of that consciously occurred to me. I wasn't thinking about, Oof, am I offending the twin community? But now I'm realizing, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe this is, is it for, but then you, know, you go all the way back to, uh, and I'm going to blank on their names. Maybe you, you guys are G.I. Joe fans, but who were in the- Oh, Tomax and Zemot? Yeah. And so obviously I, that was in my subconscious. And for them, I, mean, I remember like they'd show in the trailer every time one of them would like, I don't know, maybe their wrist got burned or something. And the other one would be like, ah, mm-hmm. in a helicopter or something. <laughs> I mean, that stuck with me. <laughs> I, I had to figure you had some kind of siblings because the banter between the two of them, my brothers, we're all, we're five years apart, each of us, but I can hear that natural sibling banter. Oh yeah. In those oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, it's already there. I, I, if anything, I would, if I were to co- uh, emulate my kids, I'd have to turn it down because, boy, the teasing <laughs> is through the roof these days. And my son, he loves uh, saying everything out of my daughter or our mouth is cap. You guys, you guys you know what that means? That's cap? No, no. Oh, boy. All right. Well, quick lingo lesson. You're, you're not going to want to know this. Uh, it basically, if you were to say something now that was an extreme exaggeration or a falsehood, I would say that's cap. Like that's mm-hmm. not true, basically. Interesting. Well, it is. Oh, it's everywhere. You, now that you've just heard it from me, you're going to see it and hear it maybe in like if you see younger characters and things. But yeah, it's 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 everywhere. Hmm. My son is 11, so I guess I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep watch for that. Well, oh yeah, if he hasn't done it, then don't, don't bring it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him pick it up off the YouTube street. Yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> oh man, so yeah, you know, it's it's funny you bring up uh, the uh, the Cobra Twins from GI Joe. I, I had those action figures when I was a kid, and I definitely lost right. one of them on the playground but i feel like you know to an eight-year-old that's upsetting but as an adult i'm like well no that's good story they're separated now how do they deal with that (laughs) right (laughs) 
there you go. How, you know, one of them is like thinking they're always thinking of each other. And at certain moments, they maybe think the same thing or, you know, call each other at the same time. If uh, they can get out of that sandbox you left in there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, you know, I, 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 in prepping for this, I, I found an interview with you from 2020 back when Corollary was just, you know, a short story, uh, you know, little, a little more than a, a twinkle in the eye. And uh, you, you, you said you see it as a galactic epic, the likes of Saga. Uh, is that the boldest claim you've ever made about anything in your life? Is that your big, oh, your gosh, big yeah, MC yeah. boast? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, trust me, I realize that shooting for the moon and or shoot lassoing the moon, bringing it right down here and, you know, and uh, getting to live on it. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's like an overexcited pitch. And it's also just a, it, like the love and respect I have for one of the most amazing creations in graphic novel form in the last, you know, since The Watchmen, I think, is I put Saga right up there. Though I get so heartbroken with uh, the characters, they are so willing to kill off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it just, it breaks my heart. I still wish, you know, um, what's his name with the horns? Marco. Marco. Yeah. I, I, you know, just in catching up again, I'm like, I I, I miss him. I'm hoping there's a way something's going to bring, you know, he's going to get resurrected, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, you you just got to, you know, nobody better touch Gus. That's all I'm saying. That little seal man lives (laughs) or we riot. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, saying that I, 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 if anything, I should just rephrase, I aspire to Saga, mm-hmm. um, but definitely not, uh, this one's more on the PG-13 level than the um, R rating that that gets. And yeah, I guess that goes to one other thing I'd say is, you know, um, SourcePoint and I discussed it because, uh, you know, they, they said, you know, this feels like we should call this all ages. And I think they're right, but I would say all ages with an asterisk because there is some heavy levels of violence at times, but it's cartoonish looking. You know, and I've read comics since I was eight and I've seen a lot worse, but um, you know, it's, I would maybe say it's all ages 10 and up. I wouldn't go below 10. Okay. Now, uh, who are, are your, do you have, uh, I guess, a favorite pair of uh, twins in fiction across media? So, you know, movies, TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's a great question. Um, whew, well, I mean, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger were quite the pair. Um, whether or not they were my favorite, that's... Uh, then there's the Wonder Twins. I always love making fun of them. I, I'm very frustrated by them. And I'm not the first person to say this, but their powers are so epic when you think about it. And gosh, were they squandered. I mean, they, I mean, how many times can you turn into a bucket of water when you can manipulate water? I mean, that's like a very powerful force that, and and any animal you want to be, it's just the choices made uh, on that show are mind boggling to me for the Wonder Twins. It's it's the Iceman problem, right? Like he's, he's always, loaded with potential but he never gets to the moment where it's like oh you're you know an ice wizard who could freeze the globe if you wanted to uh basically though i will say i guess i saw like with tom king's um uh oh my gosh his most recent uh series with uh with human target human target yeah the target human target and uh she she what's her frost no Ice. ice like i've never seen ice more subtly powerful I mean, you know, he kind of says, gosh, I feel like she could just stop my heart right now. And I don't recall ever. I mean, I guess there were some story arcs where she was like unleashing the beast, so to speak. But this seemed like a much more like it's almost almost a sinister showing of how powerful she truly is. That that last issue, uh, you know, I was just about to say gave me chills, but that's that's it's too easy. It's too easy. <laughs> It was very good, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> yes, yes, huge fan. Uh, but uh, yeah, I might as well make this a question for the group. Matt, favorite twins in fiction? Uh, probably got to go with the Skywalkers, Luke and Leia. 
Whoa, okay. I'm old school Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, personally, uh, I watch a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so I'm going to go with Dennis and D. Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My favorite terrible people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, they, they're despicable, and that's a great choice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's flip it around, though. Least favorite twins. Ooh, least favorite twin. Least favorite twins. Okay. Um, I would have to say uh, I've always been frustrated by Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Okay. Okay. They, I think they could have helped Alice out a little bit more. You know, I was waiting for a second. I was like, was he talking about the Alice in Wonderland characters or the Batman villain? Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i was thinking alice but sure batman too oh man matt i think you and i have the same answer here and, and they will come up in a minute so we will we will save until they are brought up shortly okay that's a good point all right so this is a good spot uh we we warned adam about this uh pre-show but uh we're gonna do a little uh twin trivia so i got i got 10 questions here about twins uh or at least that start off being about twins uh again we're not we're not this is not uh a knowledge test uh it's (laughs) it's just for fun adam are you ready i'm ready all right question the first what are the names of the aforementioned wonder twins of dc fame oh boy oh um I feel like one of the names is kind of like Nyla and I didn't know I, I, they're not in my head. Okay. It's, it's Zan and Jaina. Zan. Okay. Yeah. All right. Question two. Again, don't feel bad. We're just having fun. Okay. Uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley made Charles Xavier a twin when they introduced this supervillain in 2001's new X-Men number 114. Zorn. Oh, Cassandra Nova. Oh my gosh! But wait a minute, Zorn with the metal head. I thought he Zorn had the yes, yes. But it that was although Zorn turned out to be a twin. Yes, Yes, that is true. Zorn does have a twin. But it's okay. Fine, you're right. Dang, I love that series. Oh, and I, I just jumped on as soon as you just said Grant Morrison X Men. Zorn popped into my head, but I remember Cassandra. All right, yes, okay. (laughs) In that vein. Marvel has a number of twin sibling pairs, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, North Star and Aurora, Speed and Wiccan. But these two Nazi motherfuckers are objectively the worst. <laughs> wow, that's the hint. Um, well, Red Skull doesn't have one. Baron Zemo doesn't, that I'm aware of. Uh, they are, I'll give you a hint. They are the children of a Baron. I, I I don't have it. Okay, it's the Fenris twins, the uh, children of uh, Baron von Strucker from Hydra. Oh wow, wow, that's deep. Okay, and they are the worst, and they were both of our choices for worst twins because okay. they're Nazis, and that just by default yes. makes them the worst. Yeah, the I agree with that. <laughs> All right, question four. You ought to know that this Canadian rock singer whose biggest hits were in the 90s has a fraternal twin brother named Wade. Oh, boy. Uh, Again, you ought to know. You ought to know. (laughs) Who is that? If you get this right, I'll say thank you. (laughs) Not, I don't know why he's not Canadian. Um... Not it's a she. The answer is a she. Celine, Celine, not Celine Dion. No, no, no. Oh man, my Canadian superstar music artists of the '90s is a, feeling a little some gaps are, are there right now. You're gonna have to help me on this one. All right, it's Alanis Morissette. Oh my goodness, she has a twin named Wade. I learned that in prepping for this episode. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> This, this, one's a, this one's a deep cut. In this 1994 movie starring Timothy Busfield, Dennis Farina, and Jason Robards, a 12-year-old boy inherits the Minnesota Twins baseball team. 
Oh boy. See, for me, this one is not a deep cut because my brother watched this friggin' movie constantly. This one and Rookie of the Year in rotation. For- that's what I was thinking of, but that's yeah, that's where he just can like pitch like nobody because of his arm getting tightened by the cast. This right. is a kid that gets a team, and I remember Jason Robot. I know I've seen this. Um, Minnesota Twins. No, I, I don't. I can't. I don't have the name. the The movie was Little Big League. I did not know it existed. Oh. Apparently, like it occurs to me, like there are so many goddamn like mid nineties movies that are either about baseball or like children that come into a ridiculous sum of money and do stupid things with it. And yes, in the intersection of those. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, you, you had this, you had Rookie of the Year, you had Angels in the Outfield. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is whole subgenre. I mean, Sand Dreams was the mm-hmm. was the one that started it. Well, I, you know, within that window. Old Durham. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And on the other hand, you had Richie Rich and Blank Check and uh, Milk Money. Yeah. <laughs> and then and and if you want to throw in football, there was Little Giants with Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis. That's true. That's yeah. also true. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Here we go. Number six. Minneapolis and St. Paul are known as the Twin Cities. Yes. Minneapolis is also known as the home of Prince. What year did Prince play the Super Bowl halftime show? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a window. It was in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. I want to say it was in 2006. Seven. Close. Right. You're real close on that. (laughs) And I actually, I thought it was more recent than that. I was kind of shocked, but. (sighs) And I think the Patriots were in. I mean, it was sometime in the last 20 years. The Patriots (laughs) probably were in it. Hopefully it was one of the good ones, but they got their asses beat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A 2002 commercial for this brand of beer features a rock band professing its love of many things, hanging with my friends, pickup trucks, Baywatch star Gina Lee Nolan, but always coming back to the refrain and twins. Oh my goodness. Yes. So you're naming the beer. Yeah. Not O'Doul's. That's a non-alcoholic beer. Oh my gosh, I remember those commercials. It might, gosh, it might, might be one of the bigger beer beer people. Uh, was that it, Coors? It might be one of the, yes, it was Coors. It was Coors Light. All right. There we go. We got one on the board. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This uh, Question number eight. This actor who played the Winklevoss twins in David Fincher's The Social Network became the focus of a sex scandal last year. Army Hammer. The- Yes. There we go. Boom. I didn't get to the part where he told his partner he was 100% a cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Number nine. Actress Brittany Daniel is known as one of the Sweet Valley High Twins with her sister Cynthia, but went on to solo roles and stuff like Joe Dirt. Again, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and that 80s show. She also for seven years dated this member of the legendary Wayans comedy family. And I'm going to give you a multiple choice for this one. Is it either Keenan Ivory Wayans, Marlon Wayans, Kim Wayans, or Damon Wayans Jr.? Kim. Keenan Ivory Wayans, Ugh. the patriarch of the clan. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> and, and finally, uh, a question that I, there's no reason you would know that walking into this interview. Which of us, Matt or either Matt or I, Self-published a book called My Evil Twin and I in 2008 that is bad and you should never read. Now, is this a novel? Yes. A novel. I'm going to say it was Matt. That would be terrible if I said it was bad and you should never read it. (laughs) (laughs) That one was me. (laughs) I had a feeling. (laughs) Do not Google it, Internet. (laughs) I think you're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> so thank you for humoring us with that. Um, no one is keeping score. <laughs> that, that was, yes, that was going to be, that was, that was, I have some twin homework to do now. That was, uh, that showed me how little I, 
Although we talked about so much before that, I feel like I did show some twin knowledge, just not the deep cuts. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, what are you what are you working on next? You know, you've done middle grade, you've done sci-fi fantasy. Are there other areas that you're looking to to write in or, or yeah, challenge yeah. yourself with? No, I I uh, I finished um I just got hired to do a couple bio comics that are gonna uh, one's gonna come out on uh, Reba McIntyre this fall. Ooh, okay. And then uh, later after that uh, on Dave Grohl. Oh, so, okay. That's announced eventually. Um, and then um, I did just wrap um, for a five issue uh, series or graphic novel. It's kind of my, uh, my version of True Detective. It's a, I guess, it, but it, with a um, fantasy element to it. And I am hopefully, uh, I've partnered up. He's really, he loved the pitch and, and he's um, working on pages for us right now. Uh, his name's Magenta King. He did Jenny Zero for Dark Horse. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. out right now. yeah. So that's in the infancy, but it's written and we're, you know, I'm slowly, gonna, I've seen a couple uh, page or images from him and I'm, I'm excited about that. And yeah, I mean, I mean I, for me, like, I'm like a shark. I got to keep, I got to keep writing to keep moving. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm already writing a new thing um, that is my first foray into the realm of superheroes. Okay. Interesting. So, but with a twist, but mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, in that, you know, we'll see when I get that done. So that's, those are the big things. And then, you know, on the other side of my writing life, I do have, I have a, uh, a straight up short story that I was honored to get published uh, by a literary journal called Pilgrimage Press out of Colorado State University. That's coming out later this summer. Very cool. All right. Lots to look forward to. Now, uh, in the meantime, you did mention a couple uh, store signings. Are you doing uh, any convention stuff at all this summer? I am hoping to be at Emerald Con and Source Point is going to have a booth there. So that's that'd be super exciting if that gets to happen. And then beyond that, I got to look um, at the schedule, but I do want to be at uh, any like smaller cons on the Western side of the country this fall, mm -hmm. especially with the announcement of the collected edition end of September. But yeah, right now Emerald Con is deeply penciled in, hopefully in ink. Uh, and then beyond that, um, got to just, got to, I got to get rolling. So, uh, judging by your, your Instagram and having mentioned my cat earlier, it, it's time for Pet Corner. Tell us about your dog. Oh, yes. Thanks for that. So Boss is a little uh, pound puppy that we got um, a rescue before the pandemic happened. But he, he was just at this place near LAX that specialized in taking like street pregnant street dogs off the street. And then you could have, you know, so he's a little mix of a, uh, terrier and we don't know what else he we named him boss because our family were big wes anderson fans and loved that um animated oh my god isle of dogs and oh, there's a yeah, dog yeah, yeah. named boss and so boss is he's like 12 pounds soaking wet i've never had i've never been a little dog person before i've always had bigger dogs so it's been an experience and he's a barker a yipper and it's been uh, challenging to some degree. And he's like a little billy goat. He'll like jump on our, our kitchen table. And if we leave any scraps out, we're screwed. Uh, Cause he'll you know, get a tummy ache and whatever, but he's also a cuddler. So yeah, he's, he's definitely a huge part of the family. Wow. That's great. Love it. Now also your uh, Insta handle is Shazam cat. Now, yeah. is this because you like both Shazam and Captain America or because you yes. have a hat with a Shazam logo on it? <laughs> It is because I like um, Shazam and Captain America, as well as when I came up with that, and I was surprised it was available because it was before the first Shazam movie. Mm -hmm. I just also was thinking about the fact that, you know, it's so so fucked up that, you know, all these rights things with Shazam is Captain Marvel, but no, he's not. He's Shazam now. We're pretending he never was Captain Marvel uh, mm -hmm. because we're not allowed to say Captain Marvel. And then you have, you know, Miracle Man and all that stuff is such a mess. Um, so that was another little moment of thought when I came up with it. But no, I'm a huge fan of Captain Marvel, Shazam and Captain America. 
Matt actually just got me this puzzle uh, for the listeners. It's a uh, kind of cap through the decades puzzle and uh, nice. looking forward to having the time to finally bust it open and get that started because I'm so I enjoy doing puzzles, but it's that thing of if there is one out that is not finished, you know, the yep. <laughs> yep. must stop what I'm doing. And that, you know, becomes very uh, distracting, yeah. but in a very fun way. Sure. <laughs> um, penultimate question. What are you reading right now? I am reading um, a novel called it won, I get, it won the, um, the Pulitzer. Welcome to the Goon Squad. Um, by Jennifer Egan, I believe, uh, as far as like just straight up novels go. And then I'm also, as far as like comics, I'm halfway through that huge tomb uh, monster. Oh, okay, um, yeah, sure. Which, by Barry Windsor Smith. Yes. yes. Barry Windsor Smith. Fucking brilliant and intimidating and gorgeous, and also uh, very disturbing. Like it's hard for me to read it. It's taken me. I've had it for a while but I have to keep putting it down because it's really uh, deals with like, you know, horror or body horror. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't even put my finger on it, but it's, it's great. You know, you, it kind of does relate to Captain America. I don't know if you know that. I mean, it deals with like this kind of twisted super soldier situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been something I've just been going through slowly, but then a, a quick one that I just read and loved because I just decided trade waited was um the king of spies the mark miller oh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was it's it was fun i mean you know it's like i, I feel it's a, for me i don't know why it's off-putting that now everything that he puts out has like netflix logo automatically on it yes like, okay, netflix is mark yes. miller they own him yeah. <laughs> so but i really enjoyed it i mean you know did he like reinvent the wheel with it no but it, it's, it was a cool twist you know, I, I guess I, you know, in that genre, I loved. Um, I read this a while ago, but Jimmy's Bastards, <laughs> um, as well as this is a deep cut for some people. You guys probably know. Uh, it does relate. Kirkman's Dynamo Five. Yeah, uh, Kirkman. That was Jay Fairber, I thought. Oh, all right, okay. You, um, yeah, then I'm that my mistake. I, yeah, I meant so. Yes, uh, I don't know why I said Kirkman. I think maybe because I was reading a lot of Invincible at the time. <laughs> and I think there, there's, they're definitely connected because I know a lot of that Ferber stuff also crossed with Invincible, that um, Noble yeah. Causes, which Dynamo 5 spun out of, their Invincible would guest in there. So there might have been some Invincible in Dynamo 5 for that matter. It's been a long time since I read Dynamo 5. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. And you know, something else, I mean, you asked me what I'm reading now, but I want to revisit because I loved it when it came out. And actually, I would say this too. The way I said Saga influenced me, this gave me like just permission to just go for whatever I thought would be for my story and not edit myself was Alan Moore's top 10. Yeah. I loved top 10. So yeah. of those ABC books, I mean, I know people talk about Promethea, which I mean, and for right, I mean, J.H. Williams, brilliant and Tom Strong is great, but top 10 was Love Tom Strong. Yeah, but top 10 was my favorite of that bunch. It was just yeah. so cool. Yes. Gene Ha, the detail and the stuff oh. in the background of top every 10. page, I, every panel, I would just sit and stare at for hours. I mean, I, you, yeah, you couldn't get enough of it. Now, I need to go back and revisit, though. I, I don't think I only had it in single issues, but great stuff. Well, uh, Adam, this has been a great uh, hour. Uh, as we're wrapping up, final question, how can people follow you online and keep up with Corollary and everything else that you're going to have coming up? Well, my guess, yeah, you all mentioned my, my Instagram ha uh, handle, Shazam, at Shazam Cap, and then Twitter, uh, at AdamRose74, uh, the number. And those are the number two, number number one and two ways for getting a hold of me. And then, yeah, SourcePoint Press, issue four, July 20th, the collected issue, September 28th, give or take. And um, announcements will be coming about the other things I mentioned uh, when the publishers kind of green light any kind of announcements, you know, as far as the, the Reba biocomic and down the road, uh, the David Grohl one. So, and then my own, yes, my other projects as well. So 
This has been awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. It's been a blast. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Glad to have you. And we are back with writer artist Amy Ignatow. How is your pride going, Amy? Very well, thank you. So, Amy is the writer illustrator of various books, uh, but some of them include the Jedi Academy series. Jedi Academy, uh, Popularity Papers, The Mighty Odds, cutest thing ever. And I have another book coming out this year, which is a picture book called Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. How did you get, how did you get involved with Jedi Academy? Uh, so Jedi Academy started with three books by Jeffrey Brown. Uh, then he passed the series down to Jared Krasoska, who did another three-story arc with different characters. And then Scholastic and Lucasfilm asked if he would like to write another three uh, that was based on the life uh, and times of Christina Starspeeder, who is the sister of his main character, Victor Starspeeder, in his books uh, three, uh, four through six. And he said, I would like to, but this is from a female perspective, and I feel like we should bring in a woman author, and I want it to be Amy Ignatow, which was very kind of him. And so uh, he thought we would work well together, and was fortunately correct. So he called me, and he asked me to do it, and I was a little on the fence. I'd never done any writing without illustrating before. Um, but he convinced me, and uh, I told my friends, and I was like, should I do this? And they said, uh, it's Star Wars, of course you should do it, what's wrong with you? And so I uh, wrote it with him and had a fantastic time. So, were you a big Star Wars, always a big Star Wars person? Was this sort of a casual Star Wars person, like, okay, now i got to dig into the lore? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I like Star Wars, but uh, no, I had to, I had about 20 open Wikipedia tabs at all time, because you don't want to mess that thing sort of thing up. Like, you have to get it right, because we had the editors from Scholastic, um, Michael Petronek, who was wonderful, and then we had uh, editors and copy editors from Lucasfilm making sure that we didn't mess everything up, and uh, they were amazingly uh, strenuous in a really good way, and they checked us, and um, and then sometimes they'd say, um, did you mean Moof Milk when you said Moof Juice? And I was like, no, I meant Moof Juice, I looked it up, and so... <laughs> I just I wouldn't let them catch me in a in a mistake. We did make one of my favorite edits of all time, which was a mistake that both Jarrett and I made together, which is they got a note to us that said, This droid that you've drawn does not go beep beep poopity beep. It goes gronky gronk. And we were like, you know what, you're right. Have you I, your popularity papers are also in that journal graphic illustration style. Were those before or after? the Jedi Academy. Oh, those were way before. The first one came out in uh, 2010. So, and then there are seven books in that series. I think it ended in, I want to say 2016, but sometimes I forget when my books came out. Maybe 15? I don't know. Well, time has no meaning anymore. No, I don't know anything. The past two years have taught us anything. It's that time is yes, a construct. Yes, it was the pandemic, not my regular brain yes, that exactly. did that. We'll blame that. <laughs> so, Tell us about those. What are the popularity papers? The popularity papers is the sort of journal of, uh, shared journal of two best friends, Lydia and Julie. The full name of the first book is Popularity Papers Research for the uh, Social Improvement and General Betterment of Lydia Goldblatt and Julie Gramshang. I thought it was hilarious when I named that, not realizing that for the next 12 years of my life I would have to be repeating it. So, uh, and writing it down. And uh, it is about these uh, girls who are, have one year before they hit middle school. They're in fifth grade and they want to learn how to be popular before they do that so that they're in a good position, good standing, and not like Lydia's older sister who turned super goth. They're afraid of that, which is silly. <laughs> and uh, and as the so they observe the girls who are already popular, and then they try to emulate them with um, varying, often negative results. I mean, because I mean, there's no real secret to popularity other than you know maybe don't murder. I don't know, but uh, you know there's there's no there's no set formula, and they learn that, and um, it takes them seven seven books to learn it. <laughs> right? Meanwhile, the mighty odd is superheroes. I wouldn't 
call them superheroes so much as kids with problematically mediocre powers <laughs> that they don't know how to uh, control. So what is the origin of that? Where did, uh, again, a super-powered story something you've always been into, or... I, I think I was wanting to do something about, I mean, not to make it like too on the nose, but like puberty, where you have suddenly you have powers and you don't know what to do with them or how to control them. So I thought it would be funny to have that kind of uh, story, and especially to have a story with uh, popularity papers was about two friends who had known each other for, you know, since, since, you know, babyhood, and I wanted to have a story about four kids coming from completely different uh, backgrounds and uh, friendship groups and social stratus um, being thrown together because they each get these sort of mediocre powers. So, like, the one has super strength, but only in his thumbs, so texting's like a real problem. And, um... One can uh, teleport, but only four inches and only to the left, and can't control when it happens. Yeah, no, it's terrible. And, uh, you know, one can read minds, but only if people are specifically thinking about directions. So, not helpful. And uh, the other can change uh, her appearance, but only her eye color. So, why? And then you learn more as, as, the, uh, as the story progresses, and their, uh, their powers develop further. How many books in that series? That is a trilogy, so three. Excellent. And so you, you, you have one other book coming up? Uh, yes, so I have, uh, it's a board book, not a board book, I'm sorry, it's a picture book um, called Symphony for a Broken Orchestra, and it is based on something that happened here in Philadelphia in 2017. Uh, Robert uh, uh, Blackson, uh, oh god, I hope I'm getting his name right, if I'm not, then let's all remember, I don't know when my own books came out. Um, he is the director of Temple Contemporary, which is the artistic uh, wing of Temple University, and he uh, went to public schools and saw that there are just closet full, closets full of uh, broken, or broken instruments, so they're too broken to play but not broken enough to throw away, and these are still valuable, And uh, but there was no funding to fix them, and so he decided to commission a symphony where people had to uh, play these broken instruments, and they ended up doing that, and raised money with this like really interesting, eerie sound. Uh, you know, just have to play it as is. Professionals volunteered, uh, hobbyists, and they created a symphony. And uh, so it's about how just because you're broken doesn't mean that you can't still make beautiful music. Love it. Yeah. So as we wrap up, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? Yes. <laughs> um, actually, I'll just do a plug for some of the books that we're selling here today. Um, there's a debut author, Eric Brown, who wrote a YA called All That's Left in the World. And it is a dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic fiction about two boys trying to uh, survive after a super flu <laughs> pandemic. It's like, uh, woo, close to home, but you know, not that much. Um, it's just really funny and sweet and well-written. Uh, so I'm really excited about that one. And uh, I also recently read with my kids uh, Alex London's Battle Dragons, uh, which is like pretty self-explanatory. You got a dragon and then you use it to fight another dragon. So, you know, uh, you know, like regular life, like we've all done, so it's very relatable. And uh, that one, my kids loved that so much. It was so fun. So both that's uh, like a middle grade for not teens, but <laughs> teens can read it and enjoy it too, I think. And finally, where can people follow your work online if you so wish to be followed? <laughs> I am uh, terrible at um, promoting myself. So uh, I have a Twitter account uh, where I do a lot of raging. So that's super fun. Uh, I have a Facebook author account that's mostly neglected. Uh, and then uh, every time a book comes out, I'll, suddenly there'll be a flurry of information and then I'll go back into my hidey hole. So I'm bad at this and I wanna, I wanna own it. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Amy. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your pride. Have a great pride. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, 
Sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks, a $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the ForceWorks character Sentry was apparently part of Combo Man. WMQA.